Well, in the reading corner today, I'm thrilled to be welcoming teenage author Libby Scott, who is the author of, or co-author, as we'll find out in a moment, of four books. Can You See Me, the debut book, which was published in 2019, and followed by Do You Know Me, Ways to Be Me, and now All the Pieces of Me. She's joined by Rebecca Westcott, who is an author in her own right, and who you'll know from wonderful books such as Dandelion Clocks. Today, we're going to explore a little bit about how these two authors came to be working together. Uh, We're also going to talk a little bit about the latest book, All the Pieces of Me. And we're definitely going to be talking about some of the um, themes and issues that it raises, which will be of particular interest to our audience. I wonder whether I have put this down as a question to Libby, but Rebecca, you may have some thoughts to add to it as well. I was interested to know how the first book came about. Can you see me? How did that come to be published by both of you? So it started off like from the very start was I was in my own house and I had like a thought that I was really bored and I'd never done any like voluntary writing before. So I think I was 10 at the time, 10 or 11. And I decided I was going to write like a little short story. I'd just been diagnosed with autism and I wanted to write a fictional thing, but slightly non-fiction because it was about my life. The life of a perfectionist, and it was sort of just like expressing my feelings through fiction, which I'd never done before. And my mum got home, I showed it to her, thinking that it was not that great, and she thought like it was amazing. So she decided to post it on her Twitter for all her teachers to sort of see, and you know, and it went like viral pretty much. It got like um, millions of views and stuff. And then we got Scholastic come and, you know, give me a book deal. And they paired me up with Rebecca, which has been like amazing, a great pairing. And that's how the first one came about. So exciting. I understand that people like Neil Gaiman were actually commenting on your Twitter feed. And uh, it must have been an amazing moment. (laughs) It's like completely surreal. I'd never, you know... I'd only seen things like this on like the internet, like a 10 year old, not been for anything like this, but it was amazing to go through like all these amazing like comments that people were relating to me and that people were like understanding my point of view and that people were saying I'm going through the same thing. It was really, really nice to see. That's what made it so exciting, wasn't it? Because what you were getting the feedback and I, I didn't know this at the time when it was happening, but then quite quickly came on board afterwards and went and looked at all the comments that Libby had had. It was the reason it resonated with people was because Libby had written something that really made people stop and say either I recognise myself in what you're saying, or I recognise my child. And I think the reason Scholastic got so excited was because often we hear about particularly how it might be um, to be a child. And, you know, maybe we, we maybe we've learned about autism previously from the point of view of neurotypical adults mm. often mm. Um, when suddenly here was a neurodivergent child yeah telling us exactly what it was like to be her and that was really exciting and I think that was one of the reasons that that people were so interested in what Libby had written. Mm. Authenticity 
and it's from the heart, those two things, I think. And could I just ask you one other question, Libby? Were were you doing quite a lot of writing for yourself, like diaries, that kind of thing? Well, I I did have a diary and that was where I dropped down a lot of my um, friendship problems, things like that. But I found myself writing it as if other people were going to see it. So I'd never really written anything that was close to my heart like that. I love that idea. And I'm really fascinated by that idea of a diary, which is really a private thing. And yet you still thought that other people were sort of over your shoulder, uh, reading it kind of thing. Rebecca, tell us how you got involved. Scholastic got in touch with me because they knew about my previous books. And so they put Libby in touch and we had to go and meet uh, we went for lunch, didn't we, Libby? Uh, we knew that we were going to get on well because Libby wanted pudding for yeah, her, her main lunch dinner. course. So it was, it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we got on brilliantly and we started chatting immediately about sort of ideas that we had. And by the time I went back home to Dorset on the train, already we had hashed out the start of this character and what we wanted this book to be about. And I think we both felt quite strongly that we didn't want it to be a book about autism. We wanted it to be a book about a girl going through all the things that kids go through. Mm. And she is autistic. It's a book about her and the things that make her different, the things that make her the same. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had lots of sort of thoughts about what her challenges might be. And lots of those challenges were challenges that lots of kids might face. And some of those challenges were unique to her. So it was it was an incredibly exciting time. And we then started writing that I would do a bit of writing and send it to Libby. She would look at it and give her thoughts on it. It then, you know, again, adds that authenticity to, to the whole book that she'll say, hang on a minute, that the thing that you've had here is not how it would be for me or for our character, Tally. But Libby ultimately wrote the diary entries um, from Tally's perspective, which of course is not something I could do because for an authentic own voices book that needed to come from Libby. And I think that's what makes it so special. We've also been able to have the services of a sensitivity reader for mm-hmm. each of our books, which has been invaluable because I I felt um, I'm a special needs teacher and I felt mm. that I I felt quite confident that we would have not put anything in our books that would cause offence or upset um, to anybody. And our sensitivity reader brilliantly was able to show us examples of things that really I hadn't picked up on that have certainly made the book much better by being challenged on things. For example, words being weaponized and not that not being challenged. So not that everything has to end in a happy ending, just that the message we give out to our readers is, is this an acceptable way for perhaps friends to treat you or uh, for teachers to behave that sometimes things aren't ideal, but we need to challenge that. that. Um, and it's been really useful for us. It's been a very new experience for me working with a sensitivity reader, but very, very useful. Wow. We all need a sensitivity reader on our shoulders, I think. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. This is a question really for you, Rebecca. Um, you know, several novels over the years have been published in the past by young, gifted teenagers And while I commend them on that endeavour as a reviewer, I've often felt that they could have done with some form of mentorship. And I wondered whether the approach that you've adopted here 
whether you could see that co-authoring working with other young teenagers, not for you necessarily, but as an idea. I actually think about that quite a lot because I think, you know, I certainly had no experience of co-authoring and being a teacher, it it was in the most incredible experience helping Libby to tell her story. And actually, with my first few books, I didn't think anything would beat the thrill of telling the story that's inside your own head. But actually, there is something that's almost better, which is, yeah, having a young person with an incredible voice and incredible stories to tell and helping them elevate that and and really share that story has been a really incredible experience. And I think it's something that could definitely be a brilliant model to help teenagers and young people. Libby, let's talk about your latest book, All the Pieces of Me. Can you tell us about it in your own words? What's happening to Tally in this book? Um, so if I could sort of describe it in like a uh analogy like a quote it would probably be when you're at home when she's at home she's in like her own pack of lions for example they they're going to fight within themselves but she knows she belongs there but once she goes to school it's like she's with the whole zoo and she doesn't know what to do there's all sorts there's the predators there's, there's the prey and she just feels like she's in this crazy mix of people of all different types and it's just a very scary and overcrowded sort of atmosphere for her and so it's it's her coping with all of that and what kind of um strategies does she develop to cope with this this whole wild pack of uh, creatures out there (laughs) so there was one thing that we did add in this book that I really really thought was a great idea because I do it myself this is something that really related to me is that she started um, songwriting, which is something that I always do to help with expressing my emotions. And Tally decided to write some songs about her feelings that, yeah, I thought they were like, it would be a really good idea because I think it's something that everyone should do. It's such a great, even if you don't think you're very, you know, gifted with, gifted like musically, it's just a great way like to express how you're feeling in like a period of time I mean music is amazing for song and music do you write the music as well as the lyrics or just the lyrics um no I write the music as well I actually have have a piano that I sort of put my songs onto um and I've had a couple songs like recording things in the past so that's something that I really am like passionate about music is one of my like favorite things to like do and listen to wow so I, I want to ask you whether in the future you would see yourself as a writer of novels or a writer of songs or maybe both <laughs> well my dream has always been to be like a singer but I've not really decided yet because I'd love to sort of carry on down the writing kind of path but also maybe I could switch it up one day and go to music because that's something I've been to I went a few days to like a music college about producing and DJing and all sorts I really enjoyed it so that's definitely something that I've always been passionate about because my dad's actually like a guitarist so it sort of runs in our family to be musical so yeah. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you something? Because Tally mentions this in her diary in All the Pieces of Me. She mentions her diagnosis. And you've already said that you had a diagnosis at the age of 10. 
Yeah. How important was that to you? Was it was it a good thing to have a diagnosis? A hundred percent. I would like advice to any parents out there to if you see any traits of autism in your child, I would really, really recommend getting them diagnosed because it's just such a great way to help your child understand themselves. And, you, you know, you can't come to terms as easily with, you know, your behaviours if you don't have that label to be able to research and explain to people, give reasoning for your behaviours and anything like that. It's just such a great thing to do. And I suppose some parents might be wary because they might be worried that their child's going to be like you know bullied self-conscious but it's always better to be labeled by sort of say a teacher as an autistic child rather than like just a naughty child or something Mm -hmm. so I'm so glad that I did it It really really helped me it cleared up my confusion which was the best thing because I'd never even I'd never heard of autism I'd probably would have thought it was like some sort of disease or a full-on you know disability but now I've realised that it's not, and I wouldn't change my autism, even if I could. It's it's part of, maybe this sounds corny, I don't know, but it is part of a gift to be able to see the world in different ways. Must be a gift of humanity, not a problem. Yeah, exactly. I think like the more the world learns, the better, because like I heard this somewhere and it's so true that the 99% of the bad traits of autism are other people not understanding it for example feeling socially awkward is another thing but if you think about it that's really can come down to other people not understanding you and tuning into you and stuff one of the questions that I um, wanted to ask was if we get to that point where people are accepting of neurodivergence and you know there's a lot of different kinds of neurodivergence if we get to that point we don't need a diagnosis do we no exactly I think yeah it'd be so great for people to just research into it a lot more because it's not really a topic that like many people know a lot about um And I really like a lot of people know about sort of like anxiety and depression, but I think people see autism as something completely different to that and something that's like almost a very touchy subject and stuff. But I think the more you research into it um, for neurotypicals, I think the better Mm -hmm. life will get for us. I haven't forgotten you, Rebecca, but I just want to ask Libby one more question because I know it's really important to you and using the right language is important. I understand from the publisher, but you can tell me if it's not correct, that you prefer to say that you are autistic rather than to say you have autism. Can you explain that to us? So I think saying that I'm a person with autism is almost like having to remind me that I'm still a person. I know I'm a person. So it's sort of like, just call me like an autistic person. So it's not a massive issue to me. I'm not the kind of person to get offended over it. But if I could have a preference. It's always important, I think, for us to talk about language, uh, especially with the, you know, the people are listening in to what we do. So school can be challenging for any teenagers. 
but it's probably amplified that challenge for autistic teenagers. Tell us about some of the challenges that Tally faces, some of the specific challenges that she faces at school. So I think her number one sort of her main few challenges are things that come down to socialising. So um, she obviously has some baddies in her class and some mean bullies and stuff. And I think she finds it hard to sort of feel like all eyes are on her. And she doesn't like being the centre of attention. Um, She finds it very hard to be shouted at or talked down to and things like that, which are also things that I related to when I was, you know, earlier in school. And, yeah, I think she finds it hard to be in crowds as well. So with a lot of people in a classroom, it's quite hard for all the noise and the atmosphere. Mm. Rebecca, you've already told us that you're a SEN teacher as well as being an author. Um, From your point of view, what can teachers do to make life easier for their autistic students? I think the most important thing is something that I've learned from Libby, which is that if you know one autistic student, guess what? You know one autistic student. You do not know all autistic students. So the, the one rule for any teacher is to learn your pupils and to know who it is that is in front of you, understand the things that they find tricky, understand the things that they love to do, understand the things that they are brilliant at doing, understand the things that they hate to do, know what their triggers are, know what that looks like. Sometimes you might be having to then teach them what their triggers are because they might not know what their triggers are and that might be taking a really long time it's it's going to be a slow process for some children um, and young people for others they're entirely owning the whole process and they are but always they are the experts Um, so I would say number one is knowing exactly everything you can about your pupils and the best way to do that first and foremost is by, by talking to them secondly is by talking to families and then after that looking at the way you behave. I've learned so much um, from from writing these books with Libby and really changed over the last few years my own practice in terms of things that I thought were a fair expectation of kids that then talking with Libby realised the pressure that I was putting on in a book without realising it, the, the fact that I might have been doing something that made some members of my class feel awkward or uncomfortable or anxious. Well, they're not going to learn if they're feeling any of those things. So being prepared to be adaptive, flexible, reflective all the time, think, did I get that right? And when something goes wrong, not just looking at that restoratively with the young person, but also asking yourself, what could I do differently next time? Yeah, of course, that works for all children, all students. It's about connecting on a personal level, isn't it? And the best teachers do connect it in those ways um I, I'd like to ask uh, Libby uh, the same question really can you tell us some of the positive things that teachers in school have done that have supported you the main thing that really does help me is the sort of energy I get off a teacher and it might not even be purposeful but if a teacher has, has always got like a smile and is always just kind and doesn't shout that's like one of the best things you can really do for me is just to 
give off sort of a warm energy. That's my favourite like type of teacher. But um, I'm trying to think of like specific things, but I think it's little things that help me the most. So I'm at a great school right now that is really, really flexible with sort of what I do and stuff. It isn't a uh, special school, but they're just really, um, yeah, really flexible and nice. And I have a teacher and she doesn't act like a teacher. She's almost like a family member kind of vibe. Like she's really warm and nice. And she, if I'm finding something hard, like I don't want to do this lesson or I don't want to go out to lunch today or something she'll she'll come up with a completely new thing that I can do um I even I'm allowed to bring Louie my dog into school so it's like it was really great going from um a mainstream school in back in London to this school that's so flexible and amazing you mentioned your lovely dog Louie and I think you like horses too. So there's a sort of an animal connection there. Tell us something about animals and why they're important to you. I think like um, I actually remember this line being in um, Can You See Me, my first book, and it's that animals are the best because they don't judge you. You can have um, a best friend that's a person, but they can always judge you and argue with you and stuff, but you you can never have a argument with a dog and you can never be judged or feel you know yeah I just think dogs are the best and animals because you can just connect with them without words which is a really special thing I think I have just one more uh, question for you and it comes towards the end of um, all the pieces of me and the quote is that everybody deserves to be heard Mm-hmm. has writing about tally helped you to find your voice and to be heard so much it's really really been such an amazing experience like it's a really once in a lifetime thing and I just sort of I feel sorry for all the um autistic people that don't have a chance to have the amazing you know experience that I had and I think I'd just advise them to speak up to anyone like a family member um with any struggles you have even if you even if you've never been diagnosed or anything but you think you could be autistic I think talking to someone like a mum or teacher would just be great and yeah I think everyone deserves to have a voice and be heard Mm -hmm. Um, I said that was the last question, but I have got one more. And that is that there are a number of really good writers now, neurodivergent writers. I wondered if you had the chance to meet or talk to any of them, like Elle McNichol, for instance. Have you been able to make connections with other writers? Not in person, but I think I've I've probably conversed with a few over like social media and Twitter. I have a lot of like not as much anymore I haven't been on Twitter for a while but um like a year or two back I would have loads of conversations with also like teachers teachers would ask me to send like a birthday message to one of their students that um read my book and stuff so I'm I'm normally quite yeah social on Twitter but I don't think I've I can't remember an interaction I've had with a another autistic author but maybe I'm wrong I'm sure you will uh, in the future. Can I just thank you both so much for joining me? Uh, It's been absolutely fascinating. uh, And thank you so much for joining us in the reading corner. Thanks for having us on.
In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. This episode is generously sponsored by Scholastic Children's Books. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. If you would like to find out about other events and courses, visit justimagine.co.uk. Join us again in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.